We proclaim the Lord's death until He comes in the observance of the Lord's table this morning. We proclaimed His death and resurrection, His ministry for us at the throne in our singing. And now let's study together and proclaim the Word as we continue our worship. We just finished talking about human government, the believer's relationship to it. And we get to the last paragraph of chapter 13, and he begins by saying, besides this. So we kind of see here he's adding to the thought. It's not a completely new thought. It's coming out of what we've just studied. Our relationship in the kingdom of men and how we as Christians are to walk here in submission. And yet we know something. We're going to see this here. We know something. Kingdoms of men are not in submission to the kingdom of Christ. Kingdoms of men stand in opposition to Christ. And so he says, besides this, you know the time. You know the time. The hour has come for you all, for us all, to wake up from sleep. Why? Because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Because of this, let us throw off, let us cast off all of the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as you do in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't always like to get up in the morning. I kind of like to get up in the morning now. Didn't always like to get up in the morning. And it would be time to get ready to go to school or to go out and milk the cow or some other chore that my dad had devised for the day on the farm. And I can still hear him at the bottom of the stairs. Hey, boys. Time to wake up. And I remember pulling my pillow over my head. Oh, I don't want to get up. It's cold out there. I don't want to go out to the bar. I don't want to go to school. 
Time to wake up. In this text in front of us, it is as though the Lord is saying to us as his children, it's time to wake up. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, many times in your ministry, you told your children you would come as a thief in the night. You said if the servant knew at what hour the house would be broken into, he would have stayed awake. And so you closed your message in Mark 13, and you said, what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. Lord, this is not a sermon that I'm just preaching to others. It's a sermon I'm preaching to myself because it is so easy for all of us as we go through this life to slumber and to sleep and to become lethargic spiritually. To listen to the lullaby of Satan. and To not recognize and realize the solemnity of eternity. And the brevity of our time here. And as C.S. Lewis reminded people in his day, you have never just met a mortal man. For everyone we meet, and everyone we know, and everyone in this room will live somewhere for all eternity. May we understand that the stakes are high. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading an article written by a guy named John Benton, an insightful article that was in a recent Nine Marks journal blog or or journal. He began the article like this. Washington Irving wrote the fanciful tale of a hand-pecked, work-shy man named Rip Van Winkle. The story was published in 1819. It is set in the late 18th century America, and it tells how Rip lay down while out squirrel hunting in the Catskill Mountains of New York. Dulled by drink, he fell into a deep sleep. And he woke up 20 years later not realizing he had slept for more than a night. There were signs that something strange had occurred. His beard was now a foot long. He looked like Duck Dynasty. His dog was gone. His rifle was covered in rust. When he entered his village, he didn't recognize it. There were buildings he didn't remember. His clothes looked old-fashioned. Children made fun of him. Rip proclaimed himself a loyal subject of King George III, not realizing that while he had been asleep, the War of Independence had been fought. America was now its own country. He was out of place, and he didn't know why. 
And then John says this. Many Christians today are having a similar experience. They may not have been physically asleep for 20 years, but now we're waking up to the fact that the world has changed and things will not go on as they have before. Believers used to be thought of as somewhat odd, but basically decent folk. Now we are increasingly regarded as a harmful influence in society. We're now the bad guys. Things like freedom of religion, freedom of speech, these were once regarded as absolute rights. Now they're being challenged. You can lose your job for expressing certain ideas, especially biblical ideas that are not popular. Society is dramatically different, quite possibly in unprecedented ways, and it is likely to get worse before it gets better. Somewhat odd, but decent folk. I suppose it's true. We are somewhat odd, aren't we? The church has been asleep. People, it's time for us to wake up. This world is not our friend. Can I just say that again? This world is not our friend. Satan is our foe. Time is short. And eternity is real. My sermon in a sentence. Here it is. If you look at Romans 13, you look at what we just read, basically what he's saying is this. Since Jesus will return at any moment, Christ followers are instructed to cast off the things that characterize darkness or the night, and we are to walk in the light of day. I'll have more than a sentence, but there it is in a sentence. So if you do fall asleep this morning, if you got that sentence, you got the message. Since Jesus will return at any moment. Now, if you've been in church all your life, you've heard that all your life. Jesus could return at any moment. We say it so often, we have said it so many times, that for most of us, we have completely disregarded it. And it has inoculated us to the place that we have really fallen asleep. Because we really don't believe it. We really don't live like it could happen. That in one moment, you could be driving a nail, and the next moment, you are face to face with the Lord.
with all of humanity. But that could happen. Since Jesus will return at any moment, Christ has instructed his people to live a specific way. To be a little odd. To cast off the works of darkness. To walk in the armor of light. What does this mean? What is he getting at in this text when he tells us this? There's basically, what I want to just think about is, he tells us here, there's something we know, and then there is something we are to do. What is it we know? What is it we know? Notice what he says. There is something we know. Besides this, you know the time. Christian, he is telling us here, the Holy Spirit is telling us, you know the time. Now, if you look in Mark 13 and you look in Acts chapter 1, you will also find that Jesus says there, no man knows the day or the hour. No one's going to be able to pin this down. And I'm surely not going to be an apocalyptic, uh, what's the word I want, surmiser this morning that's just going to look at world events, although we'll look at a couple of world events, and just look at world events and say, well, since these things are happening, that tells us that for sure the Lord's coming back in the next year. I have no idea. I have no idea. The Lord could tarry for another 2,000 years. The Lord could so direct in his sovereignty that there is a great reset, not the reset that the world wants, but a great reset that kind of turns back the clock and changes the world in a way that in his sovereign hand, he continues to govern it until Christ's return somewhere way in the future. That could happen. It could also happen that he comes really soon. We don't know. We do know the season. We know the time. What is it we know? What is it we know? We're not going to be able to pin it down. We're not going to look at all the signs this morning and say, since this sign just happened, that means the Lord is coming back right now. We're not going to do that. But what do we know? What do we know? Notice what he tells us in the text. This is what you know. The hour has come for you to wake up. Paul is writing to Roman Christians who are living in an expectation that the Lord will return in their life. They're hopeful of that. They don't know that for sure, though. But they do know something. They know this. The time has come to wake up. Why is it time for them to wake up? You know why? They're about ready to get fed to Nero's lions. They don't know that. They don't know that some of them are going to get dipped in oil and be used as human torches to light the gardens of Nero's walkways in Rome. They don't know that. But that's right around the bend for these people. We don't know what's right around the bend. You don't know, and I don't know. But I do know this. It's time to wake up. It's time to be ready. 
It's time to be alert because things are coming our way that are going to fundamentally change the way we do business. We can mark that down. The time has come. Now notice what he says. The time has come for you to wake from sleep. Why? Salvation is nearer to us now than when you first believed. Your ultimate salvation, your ultimate glorification, that is nearer today than when you first became a Christian. Some of you, some of us, and we don't know the day or the hour for any of our death. For some of us, that day of our ultimate salvation could be a whole lot closer. When we would die. We don't know. But we do know this. The day is closer. The day of our ultimate salvation, of our being present with the Lord, is nearer than when we first believed. So we better wake up. We better be ready. We better be alert. We better not just be going through life lollygagging along, doing living willy-nilly, when in front of us is a great day, a day of judgment. He tells us we know some things. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, for instance, he says, but you brothers, you are not in the dark that this day should overtake you like a thief. You're not in the dark. Think about this. The world is in the dark. There's all kinds of things happening in the world. If you're not a Christian, if you're new to Christ, you probably understand this better than somebody who was raised in the church. Because you maybe went through a period of time in your life when as you just looked at the world and you looked at events around you, you just felt like things were just spinning out of control and things were happening willy-nilly and you had no reason and you didn't understand why. We know. We got the book. We don't know everything, but we know what God wanted us to know. We know enough that we are not in the dark This day does not overtake us like a thief. So wake up. Notice what else he says. It's at hand. It's right at hand. Mitch and Ashton had a baby this week. They knew that that baby was coming sometime. They didn't know when that baby would come. It came when it was ready, and God willed it. But it was at hand. It was at hand. It was imminent. And that's the idea of this. When we read this in the scripture, that this is at hand, he's not saying that it necessarily will happen today or tomorrow. What he is saying is every generation of Christians was to live with an expectation that his return was imminent. It could just happen. And so the scripture says things like this in James 5, verse 8. The coming of the Lord is at hand. In 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, the end of all things is at hand. In Philippians 4, verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone why the Lord is at hand. In Revelation 1, 3, he says, blessed are those who read this prophecy who hear it and who obey it, 
Why? Because the time is near. In Revelation 22, verse 10, he ends the book. He says, don't seal up the words of this prophecy. For the time is near. It's near. We really don't live in that expectation. But Jesus prepared his followers. He told them, stay awake, be ready. You remember the story of the virgins and the oil. And those who did not have enough, and they were excluded because they were not ready. We know the signs. We know the promises. Think about this. These are things that we as Christians know that the world does not know. We know the signs that accompany his return, and we have a promise of his sure return. When Jesus left, when he was caught up on the, on the Mountain of Olives, in front of all of his disciples, they see him go up. Two angels come and appear next to them. They're looking up too, and they say, You men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you is going to return just like you've seen him go. We have a promise of a sure return. There are many signs. You could read all the prophecies in the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, the book of Isaiah. You know, we could get into the nitty-gritty and the Olivet Discourse and think about all the different signs there are many things that are dovetailing and coming together in amazing ways in our day in which we live. I was listening to the radio this week one morning while I was coming into church, and I was driving along. The guy who was on the radio was talking about a thing that was going on all this week that I had never heard of. It was in Dubai. Did anybody hear about that? Called the World Government uh, Summit. The World Government Summit met in Dubai. It was the 8th Annual World Government Summit. I'd never heard of it even before, had you? So I was like, oh, i got to go see this. So I went online, perused all through their website, listened to the opening address by a guy named Klaus Schwab, who is the founding director of the World Economic Forum. So you have the World Economic Forum, the IMF, the, inter, what you, the monetary fund, International Monetary Fund, all these thinkers and planners, and really no elected world leaders, just thought leaders and deep state people from all across the globe. It was interesting to read or to listen to Klaus Schwab and to hear two exact sentences from his presentation in our president's press conference last week. Pulled right out of one and then the other. Some handler knew the speech. Talking points. Amazing. So I just had to go around their website. All these little videos. Interesting stuff for sure. Their agenda, there was one video called Megatrends. Megatrends, addressing the megatrends of the world. What are we going to do? 
biggest mega trend they're trying to deal with, this is interesting, is trust. That in any government on the planet, under any government in the planet, not better, in the best situation, not better than 40% of the citizens in that country trust their government. So they say on the thing, if you don't have people's trust, all you have is force. So how do we get their trust so we don't have to use force? It was really intriguing to watch and to listen to what they were saying. They talk about demographics, interesting. How do you feed the world? How do you feed the planet? And then also on the same thing, talking about China. China's in a mess because of its one-child policy. Within, by about 2060 for sure, China will have lost, by death, half of its population. Irreplaceable, because there are no kids. And what is worse, nobody in China today, because it's gone so long, wants to have kids. And you can't have, now this is, this is actually a good thing. I don't know if I think it's a good thing, but you can't, you don't have a license to have a kid. Think about that, a license to have a kid. You can't have a license to have a kid in China unless you're married. So the prerequisite for getting the license, which I don't think you should have a license to get a kid, but is you got to be married. Well, therefore, no women in China want to get married. And so they got this huge problem they're trying to address of how in the world are we going to... It is unsustainable for a population of a nation to decline in half, in one generation, just boom, and for that society to be able to continue on. So how do you do that? a big problem they got all kinds of problems they got disease climate change then they have one site where they talk about problems and solutions i'm baiting you here because stay with me stay awake problems and solutions this was intriguing all the different problems and here's the solutions you can imagine what the solutions are things like green energy that'll fix every problem we got green energy Digital currency, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, all the solutions. Now, here's where I want to go with this. We as Christians talk about the problem of global governance a lot because we have a knowledge, don't we, out of the word. But I want you to understand something with me real quick, and that's this. Global governance is not the problem. It's not the problem. Why? Why do I say that? Because when Jesus returns, he's not just governing the United States of America. He's governing what? The world. Here's the problem. Man trying to govern the globe while it thumbs its nose at God. It's the Tower of Babel. That's the whole issue. Now, this is what I wanted you to think about with me for a minute this morning. I went to that website not comprehensively, but pretty thoroughly. There was not one token acknowledgement that man needs anybody 
to help man fix his problems. Not even a token acknowledgement that we need God. That's the problem. And I want to set that for just a minute in direct contrast with how the United States of America started. Did America have problems? Uh Uh-huh. They couldn't even decide, you know, how to get together and make a constitution. They're in trouble. For 10 weeks, they have met in constitutional convention, and they are at complete impasse. They don't know how to fix it. The world is at a complete impasse at how to fix it. When the U.S. was at that point, probably the most secular of our founding fathers, a man named Ben Franklin, stepped to the mic, although there was no mic. And he made an amazing statement. For time, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want you to listen to something he said. After talking about the war and how God had preserved them through it and how they had sought the hand of God in prayer, he says this, Have we now, have we now forgotten that powerful friend Do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice... Is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. And I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial interests. Our projects will be confounded. We ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance, despair of ever establishing a government by human wisdom, and thus leave it to chance and to war and to conquest. The issue isn't global government. The issue is who's in charge. Is it man? Can we fix our mess? I submit we can. Notice with me what we are to do. There is something that we are to do. 
We need to run through this pretty quick, so stay with me. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 to 34, he says this, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Young person, listen up. Wake up. Kids at school. Look at this verse. Don't fool yourself. If you hang with a bum, it will ruin your morals. You hang out with bozos who want to live in sin and you'll be walking with them. And that's not just for kids. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and don't go on sinning. Notice what else he says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourself with the same resolve because the one who suffered in the flesh is done with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time, you spent enough time in your life doing what the pagans want to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry, so they are surprised. What, we're odd but decent folk. They are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living and they slander you. And then Peter says this, the end of all things is near. The end is near. So what does he want us to do? Be serious. Be disciplined. Why? Notice that. For what? Prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another and don't complain. Think about what he's saying there. And he says that very same thing in Romans 13. He says, so let us cast off, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us arm ourselves with the armor of light. We are to cast off, we are to put on Uh, My friend, sanctification is a two-sided coin. We put off the old man, we put on the new man. We put off sin, we put on Christ. That's why he says you're put on the armor of light. And then at the end of this, he says put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So our sanctification is to put on Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, don't participate. Just think about what he's saying there. Don't join in. Don't join in with the fruitless works of darkness. Instead, do what? Expose it. It is shameful to mention what is done by the world in secret. But everything that is exposed by the light is made clear. For what makes everything clear is light. Therefore, he says the very same thing as Romans 13. Get up, you sleeper. Rise from the dead. The Messiah will shine on you. There are three couplets in Romans 13. Orgies and drunkenness. Orgies and drunkenness. And then the second couplet is sexual immorality and sensuality. And the third one is quarreling and jealousy. Now think of the progression there. 
the nightlife, the party. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good party, right? As Christians, we should be the most festive of people. I'm not dishing a good party that brings glory to God. We should be able to enjoy life more than the world. And when it's time to enjoy life, we should do it with all our heart, right? Amen? Let's go that way. Let's not side on the side that says, if you're a Christian, you've got to be a, stuck in the, you know, a stick in the mud who can't have a good time. No, we can have a good time. We should have a good time. But when we do so, we do so to the glory of God. But when you do so to the glory of men, it goes to drunkenness and orgies. And then that brings down inhibitions, and it goes to what? Sexual immorality. And sensuality. And then what comes happens next? All of a sudden, people are pulling out knives and guns. And the party went south. And it goes to quarreling and jealousy. You just got my girlfriend. Boom. That's where it goes. The nightlife goes from drunkenness and orgy and party and drugs. And it always goes to sexual immorality and sensuality. And then that always goes to what? Ticked off men. Jealousy and quarreling. Young person, when you get yourself in that situation and you didn't know you were in that situation, if you're scared to call mom or dad to get you out of that situation, please call me or Matt. We'll come and get you. And there'll be no questions asked. Just call. You've got to get out of that circumstance. It is not going to end well. You get in a car with kids who have been drinking, it may end in an oak tree on a tight bend. You've got to get out of that situation, but don't get there in the first place. You know, I was listening to the radio again. I like to listen to the radio. If you ever thought, if you ever wondered whether Disney was the friend of your family and your faith, you found out this week that ain't the case. I, did, did, you, I, did you see the, the, inter, the, the video that was leaked to the conservative columnist from the inside scoop? Wake up! I mean, wake up! These are people who want to destroy everything that you stand for. It's not just Mickey Mouse. I mean, just look. Disney, this is the headline. Disney executive, who is the mother of a transgender and a pansexual child, says she wants at least half of all future characters to to be LGBTQIA. And the theme park is now banned from welcoming people by saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Now they've got to refer to you as what? I think it's dreamers and climbers. Dreamers and climbers. I go through the rest of the article, but it's almost too smutty to even go there. <laughs> 
does he say? Don't participate. Don't participate. This kid's, it's not just cute and fun stuff anymore. You need to wake up to the reality that there are people out there who hate everything that this word and this Lord stands for and are doing everything in their power to take it out of your life. And they have a bigger voice and a larger platform than most churches. They have more opportunity in your life. And so he says, wake up. If I asked you, as I close, if I asked you who was the most influential Christian after the Apostle Paul had died in the history of the church, who would you say? Some would probably say Billy Graham, Martin Luther, John Calvin. Universally, among those who are in the know, it's a man named Augustine of Hippo. He lived from the year 354 to like 440, something like that. Lived a long life for that day. But he didn't start out that way. He had a Christian mother. Her name was Monica. She prayed for him daily. He went south. Went into debauchery. Went into paganism. Embraced a type of thinking called Manichaeism. I don't have time to go into all that stuff this morning. It's all in my notes. I'm not going to go there for time. This is the guy who came up with that great quote concerning the restlessness of the human spirit until it finds its rest in thee. He fell under tremendous conviction under the preaching of a man named Ambrose. In his confessions, he said he loathed himself. But rather than dealing with it, he goes deeper into sin. Sexual immorality specifically. He is in turmoil. He is sitting in the house, retching with his friend Alpius sitting next to him, retching over his state before God, not knowing what to do. He goes out into the garden. And out in the garden, he hears a young child in the neighboring house singing a little song. Pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. He immediately takes that as from the Lord. He goes back into the house and he finds God's word. He opens it up. And it is Romans 13. 
he reads this verse. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately he was born again. And the chains on his heart fell off. And he devoted his life to Christ who saved him. And he became the most powerful influencer in proclaiming the gospel from Paul till now. His story is all of ours. Cast off the darkness, embrace the light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no opportunity for the flesh. Tag, you're it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to wake up. It's interesting to me that in the text, it's not an active verb, it's a passive verb. It's, it, basically, you're telling us here, we can't wake ourselves up. The Holy Spirit must be the one who stands at the bottom of the stairs and says, boys, it's time to get up. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would yell into our hearts and into our lives and you would wake us up to the reality of the times in which we live. But the time is near. No matter what happens, whether you return and we are caught up to meet you in the air, or you return and you judge this nation for the wickedness that we have embraced. One way or the other, the time is near. And as Peter said, it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. May we judge ourselves in light of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together? Lord of all creation Of water, earth, and
Father, certainly we live in a very, very dark world. And yet, Lord, you've called us to be light in the darkness. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be holy as you are holy, that we would stand for that which is right, stand for truth, that we would be courageous, daring to speak the truth of your word. May people know who we are, that we are your children. We have been bought with a price, and therefore, Lord, we glorify you with the things that we do and say. Lord, may we honor you, and may you receive the glory through our lives. Use us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.